All right, if you guys want to open your Bibles, Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. I'm going to read there in a minute. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 16 in a minute. Of all the things that beat deeply in my heart for all of you, near the top is my desire to see all of you have a vibrant and growing walk with Jesus. I mean, that's kind of at the top of all of it, isn't it? I want us to love Jesus. I want us all together to be walking with him in a way that's filled with faith and with joy. And so I just want to begin this by just asking you a question for you to answer to yourself, how is your walk with Christ? How would you describe it? Is it growing or is it stagnant? Is it thriving or is it inconsistent? Is it alive or is it barely there? You see, Jesus has, here in Matthew 28, a master plan that he designed to help you to grow in your relationship with him. So immediately following his resurrection, he shocks everyone around him by appearing to them and speaking to them in a very simple and clear way, revealing his plan for our walk with him. And so here it is in Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of our resurrected Lord after his death on our behalf. And so he gives us this mission. It's singular. We talked about it last week. It is to make disciples. That's it. That, that's why we exist as a church, if you want to put it in the most simplistic form. We can expand on it. But here he gives us our mission. It is to make disciples. You say, make disciples for his glory. And when he says making disciples, um, he says, I'm going to be with you when you're making disciples. He ends it with that, right? I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. He's going to be with us in a unique way when we make disciples. He's going to be near. He's going to be close. Now, he's always with us. But it seems what he's saying here is when you're making disciples, look out. You're going to experience the presence of Christ in a unique way. And so we've got this controlling verb, making disciples. And then the passage gives us those two ING words to tell us how we do it. ING one, word number one we looked at last week, and the word was eating. No, it wasn't. It was baptizing. Last week we looked at baptizing. That was the first ING word. We are to baptize. So we talked last week about that. The other one, the next word that we're going to talk about this morning is the word teaching. teaching. Good. It's not a trick question. 
Teaching. There's two ING words in there. Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching. And last week we focused on the baptizing part. Where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And we said the word baptize there means to plunge or to immerse or to overwhelm. So what Jesus is saying, he, I'm, he's saying baptize, water baptism, but I think he's saying more than that. He's saying, I want you to go and overwhelm people with the power of the Trinity, with the presence of the Trinity, with the love of the Trinity, with the hope of the Trinity. Everywhere you go, bring the presence of the Trinity so that they're overwhelmed with the reality that God's alive, that Jesus really resurrected and that he's real. And so he tells us now, go, here's his mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go with the gospel in the power of the Trinity to those who don't know and love Christ yet. And Jesus says that, He has the authority to give us that mission because, as Tyler already shared with us this morning, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he proves it by resurrecting from the dead on the earth and then going to heaven to reign. So he has authority on earth over death, authority on earth over everything. And then he ascends to heaven where he now has rule over everything and all things and authority. And so with his authority... With the exercising of authority, he sends us to love, to care, and to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ yet. And so, we ended last week with your mission, should you choose to accept it, is not yours to decide. It is given to us by Jesus, and he asks us to go. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you a couple little points. The first one is just a reminder from last week that our mission is given to us by Jesus. And we could go to... Lots of other places in God's word where this mission is very similar. It's not just here. But he gives it to us. And as we've teased this out in scripture, we fill it out by saying that we exist to glorify God by building a community of spirit-filled disciples who live on gospel mission, who live on gospel disciple-making. You could put it that way. Who live on gospel go-and-grow disciple-making. So that's kind of the gist of our vision statement and how it fits into Matthew 28. But today we're going to talk about this phrase, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is our grow mission. This has to do with you and your walk with Jesus. This has to do with whether your walk with Jesus is growing or whether it's stalled out. And so Jesus tells us that with all of his authority, not only to go to those who don't know Jesus yet, but basically to spend time with other disciples teaching them something. Right? Is that simple? Make sure I don't ever say anything you can't just see here plain as day, but that's the second part of it. You you just spend time with other disciples, other people who already love Jesus, teaching them. And what are we to teach them? Well, we're to teach them to observe All the things that Jesus commanded, which if Jesus is the author of Scripture, then we could say we're to teach each other to observe everything we read in Scripture. Does that make sense? So I'm just trying to make this as simple as I can this morning. We're to teach each other to observe everything that Jesus commanded us to do. So how how do we do that? How do we teach it? Well, we teach it, we explain it, we want to observe or keep our lives in line with all the things that Jesus does, fulfill all the things that Jesus tells us to do in his word. So disciple-making, everybody asked you for a definition of disciple-making, it's really about us wanting to help each other know, love, and live for Jesus. I mean, it's that simple. We disciple each other so that you'll know more about him, you'll love him more, and you'll live for him more. That, that's really the aim. 
And we do that by helping each other to obey or observe or participate in all the stuff that Jesus has for us to do in his word. I'm going to share one other example. Actually, I'm going to share two just to make sure you believe this because I want to convince you at least intellectually to believe it and then we'll move from there. But Jesus did that whole foot washing thing in Matthew 13 that makes everybody uncomfortable. Stay away from my feet and I will stay away from yours. But Jesus did it, and he said, I do this as an example. And it's an example of what it means to serve each other. And then he says to them, if you know these things, if you know you're supposed to serve each other, he says, blessed are you if you do them. Do we have that one on the slide? Bree, did I not put that one together? No, sorry. Jesus really said this. You look it up later. It's in Matthew 13. He said, if you know these things in your head, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus comes right out of the gate with, look, you can't just know what to do, but if you're going to be blessed, you've got to do it. And that's important. If you're tracking with things we believe as a church, you're going, wait a minute, I thought God's blessing was not based on my obedience. And so I want to explain that because I think it's really important. Because as we open God's word, I think there's two ways that God's blessing is explained to us, or two realities. The first is, God's blessing is not based on your obedience. Because if God's blessing were based on your obedience, eh, there'd be no blessing. We don't realize how far, fall, far? Yeah, we've fallen really short. (laughs) And we don't realize it. And so we think sometimes that, oh, God would bless me more if I just obeyed more. You'll never obey enough for God to go, okay, blessing time. You secure God's blessing by trusting in Christ's perfection. That's the only place it's going to come from. So we bank on that. I bank on the fact that Jesus has cleansed me of all of my sin. He's taken them as far as the east is from the west. I am completely forgiven. And then he clothes me in all of Christ's perfection. So the Father sees Jesus' perfection on me and blesses me accordingly. So how much does Jesus get blessed? A lot. Because he's perfect. Well, guess what? You are blessed the same way, because in God's sight, you are perfect because the blood of Christ and his righteousness have covered you. That's good news. But then there's also what I'll call that whole so-reap category that we read in Scripture, where blessings do at times come or go based on how we behave. So if I start to lie to Chris Bowser all the time, that's going to impact our relationship, isn't it? The blessing on our relationship is not going to be there, right? If I start to steal from him, just when he's not looking, but he's not home, I sneak in his house, steal some stuff, and he finds out. That's going to impact our relationship, isn't it? The blessing is not going to be there. If, if I commit adultery, certainly that is going to have a significant impact on my marriage. The blessing on my marriage is going to be kind of distorted at that point, right? If I don't take in the amount of God's word that I need to take in for my soul to stay where it needs to be, there's a blessing that's going to change there. There's something, the, the blessing of God's presence is going to be different in my life. So do you understand how there's, there's both? And I think we need to have both functioning in our hearts where you know that it's not based on my performance, but I know that if I rebel against God, the natural blessings and the systems God has set up are going to get messed up. And so that's what Jesus is saying here, even in Matthew 28. It's this idea that, that applying God's word, obeying God's word, does bring an element of blessing in his natural order in the way he has set things up. The blessing doesn't come Only because even that, because you still need the blood of Christ, even for those blessings when I obey or do what God wants us to do. So we need the power of his grace in our lives either way. But Jesus is just saying here, look, blessing comes when we obey or do what he tells us to do. 
You guys know that James, put it the same way, spirit, right? Maybe you're already thinking those verses for me. Paul, quote it for me. You know it? (laughs) Be, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. What? Deceiving yourselves. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived in thinking, oh, I know that. Well, you might know it. And even then I would argue, well, we probably don't know it exactly as well as we should. But I know it. But he's saying, no, do it. Live it. Enjoy it. Enjoy all the things that God has for us to do. He doesn't want you to live deceived. So there's a sense in which we can walk around probably every day a little bit deceived because there's things we know to do, but we're not doing them. We forget to do them. And so there's this underlying ripple of deception in all of our lives by us not living or doing the stuff that we are told to do. And so that is why what does Jesus say in Matthew 28? To teach each other, to help each other, to observe or to do everything that he has commanded us to do. And that's why we need community. That's why we need each other. To help us not live deceived lives. I need you to help me. I want to help you to see where we're not obeying and doing what he tells us to do. So we can help each other to actually be doing it. So practically... We have been applying this as a church for a while in some sort of setting like a community group or a group of three or a gathering of people where we seek to escape deception. That's what we do. We want to escape deception by observing, helping each other to observe, helping each other pay careful attention to, helping each other hold fast to everything that Jesus tells us to do so that we're living the way he's called us to live. So this is the main reason that Tyler, Jordan, and I, a while ago, believe it's very important for our groups, whatever they look like, to spend time reviewing and applying the Sunday messages so that you don't just hear something and walk out of here, but you go home and then you meet with other people to help apply it to your lives. Does that make sense? Without, according to Jesus, that discipleship happening thing is necessary if you're going to grow. It's it's important for you. you. You have to have a part in that. If you are living week after week, year after year without application, then you're going to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want you to live deceived, believing that hearing the word is enough. And so we're trying to set up a system, a way, I know it's formality, but a way to help us in our groups to make sure that we're not just hearing Sunday messages, but we're with others, obeying Matthew 28 and saying, okay, I need to help each other Observe, obey, live out what Jesus has told us to do. I don't know how your your wheels are processing this, but you might be thinking, so Matt, what you are saying is that if I'm not making disciples and being discipled in some kind of a setting where I'm applying God's word to my life, that I'm living deceived. Is that what you're saying? No, that is not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying. (laughs) That's what he's saying, not me. That's him. So throw the rocks in another direction. <laughs> but that's what he's saying. That's, that's kind of hard for me to swallow at some points. Like, all right, this shows that I need to take God's word more seriously. And it means I need you more. It means you need me more. We need each other more to help flesh this thing out. What does it look like to take this passage of scripture that is pretty hard to understand, let alone apply? Or another passage that, well, it's really easy, but I don't know how to live it out. So we can help each other live it out. 
I, I need your help to do that, and I think you need mine. And so that's why we've done this whole review and apply with the questions every week. It's just a simple way to help us grow. It's a simple way for us to observe all that Jesus has commanded us to do. So I, I just want you to see these, that the, I think the review and applying thing is not my idea. I think it's God's idea. It's part of God's mission for having us make disciples of one another, to help each other to apply the word. So if you're taking notes number two, I would just say our mission is to disciple each other, to observe or to apply the word of God, to live out, help each other to live out, to actually put feet to what we read as a church. So I just want to encourage you, if you're already in a group that's doing this, to keep doing it, whether you use my questions or not. I know my questions some are terrible. Just trying to get the conversation going. So I don't care about my questions as much as do it in your groups. And if you're not, please start doing it in your groups. And if you're not part of a group, please let me know. We'd love to get you in a group because we need each other. We need each other so that we cannot live deceived lives. But there's another reason why Jesus says this. It's right here in Matthew 28. Another reason why he wants us to meet together to teach each other to observe all that he has commanded us. It's not only so that we won't live in deception, but he wants to protect us from doubting. He wants to protect us from doubting. He makes community and helping each other to observe the word, to obey the word, to keep us from doubting, from drifting away, from wavering, from abandoning the faith. So I see this in verse 17. Did you notice who's present in this whole conversation? And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So there's two categories of people here. You've got worshipers, and you've got doubters. You've got doubters, and you've got worshipers. So our mission, if you're taking notes, is a mission that's filled with worshipers and doubters. It's a mission that's filled with doubters and worshipers. Now, I find this very encouraging for me personally and for me pastorally. The reality that Jesus is including doubters and worshipers in the same party. I mean, think about what happened here. There were people who saw Jesus die firsthand. They watched him die on the cross. Then they find themselves standing on a mountaintop where Jesus is standing face to face with them, speaking to them. And it says some of them responded in worship. They saw how infinitely great he was and believed in him and bowed low and surrendered to him. And yet simultaneously, some of the people that saw the exact same thing, they doubted. They doubted. Same experience. And one person produced worship, and the next person it produced doubt. And yet Jesus has them both together in this one experience. So I want to consider this morning just for a few minutes doubting. Doubting. And like I said, I'm so grateful this is here for me personally and pastorally. The word to doubt is simply to waver. It's to waver from something, to not embrace something fully. And there are times where I wonder if all of this is made up. Did our pastor just say that? The times are few and far between, and I'm very grateful for that. 
But there are times where I pray earnestly for something, and there's silence. And I go, huh, is he out there? Maybe I don't want his existence, but I doubt that he's, like, listening or he even cares. And there's other times where I'm really enjoying bowing low before him in worship, knowing his presence. I remember very vividly, spring 2018, God's presence was just so real and active, I thought I was going to burst. Such joy and and communion with him and conversations. It was wonderful. And I remember exactly one year later, sitting in my front yard, weeping from just confusion, discouragement, exhaustion, and wondering where the heck God was. And so I'm grateful this is here. I'm grateful it doesn't just say worshipers, but it says worshipers, and it says doubters. Listen, I wonder if sometimes we don't eat and drink as much of God's word as we need, and so we start to doubt. Maybe we stop expressing thankfulness like we should, and it brings in doubt. Maybe we pursue the world too much, and it makes us doubt. Maybe we just get distracted by life and just the good busyness of life, and it can produce doubt in our souls. But listen, it happens. It happens. And it's hard sometimes for us as humans to have the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things we can't see. And we end up doubting. Does God ever seem like he's a million miles away to you? You ever feel like he's at a distance? You ever doubt or waver? I hope it helps you this morning to know that it's part of being human. Even being a born-again human, it is part of our journey with Christ. And it happens to all of us. We can doubt that God's real, that he rose from the dead, that one day he's really going to come back. I mean, that's a hard one. The clouds are going to, and a person's going to come flying down through the clouds. (laughs) Do you ever doubt that? Or just doubt that he loves you and cares for you, or he's aware of your situation? We have some few middle schoolers in here, high schoolers, younger. Listen, doubting is part of life. Parents, we've got to be ready to embrace our kids when they express their doubts. They express their confusion over the faith and not panic, but know that that's real. And doubts are okay. And Jesus embraces people in their doubt. I've been in churches where if you express doubt, you were corrected or at least challenged And if that's you, I am so sorry for that. I really pray we're a church where from the oldest person to the youngest person, we can express where we have doubts, where we're confused, where our faith is weak, so we can help each other by making disciples of one another. And that's why we're here. There should never be a fear among any of us to express where we are experiencing doubts in our faith. And so I desperately desperately pray that Christ Church is a place, a safe place for doubters. Maybe the idea of doubting is harder for you to grasp. Can I just put it another way? You guys remember when we studied, those you were here, the Gospel of John? That was such an eye-opening experience for me. Because as as we studied it together, we realized that at one moment, Jesus calls somebody a believer, and then the next minute it says, and they didn't believe. And I'm like, wait a minute, which is it? Are they believing or not believing? And the answer is, yes. (laughs) They're simultaneously believing and not believing. 
Simultaneously, someone could say, I believe, but I don't believe. And listen, that's why we doubt, and that's why I sin. Because there's something about Jesus I'm not believing, or that I'm doubting, that then causes me to sin. So let's just take financial anxiety. Let's just take that one. Not that anyone other than me ever deals with that. This morning, dummy me opens the email that I get that has my investments for retirement. What was the point of that? (laughs) And so in that moment, I'm faced with anxiety, right? What am I really experiencing in that moment when I'm experiencing that anxiety? Is I am not believing something to be true about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, or what he will do, right? So I need to take my doubt and line it up with what's true, and that is that Jesus— has said that he loves me and he's going to take care of me more than the birds of the air or the lilies of the field. And he tells me not to be anxious because he knows what I need before I even know what I need. But if you don't turn your affections in that moment towards Christ, you will leave them in doubting and anxiety. So they're all, it's all linked. And there's hundreds of examples. We live through all those hundreds of examples, and we need to help each other, making disciples of one another, by showing each other where it is that we're doubting, and then what do we know about Jesus to help us in our doubt so that we can live for him. So I think this whole thing has a master plan behind it, where worshipers and doubters hang out in the same place to help each other. I think that's the safety valve that Jesus built into disciple-making. It's to protect us from doubting and to help us in our doubting. So if you're not doubting now, wait till tomorrow. Right? And then you're going to need others to help you. But what I love about what Jesus does here, which kind of blows my mind, is that we're not told anything different. The worshipers aren't told anything different than the doubters right? The worshipers. We know, we know what they're about. It doesn't mean they were, they were singing and the doubters weren't singing, right? The worshipers were down low in front of Jesus, bowed down. If we keep with all the definitions we have of worshiping, they're down low going, you are king, you're master, we love you, you rose from the dead, we worship you. That's what they were doing. And I guess the doubters weren't doing that. They were kind of standing there going, what the? And trying to figure it out, right? Trying to process what was happening, and they had doubts, like, hey, what's up with this dude? I don't know. Is it really him? And they had all kinds of questions that they wanted answers. And so when I read this, I would expect, look at verse 17 with me again. Here's how I would expect this to unfold. I would expect verse 17 to say, And when they saw him, some worshipped and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, You worshippers, go make disciples of all nations. You doubters, I got another plan for you. That's what I would expect, right? He's going to divide them. But he doesn't. He gives them both the exact same mission. As if to say, whether you're a doubter or a worshiper, what you need is to be discipled and to be making disciples. (laughs) That's what's going to protect you from doubting. That's what's going to help you in your doubting. The very thing that we do when we doubt is we want to withdraw ourselves over embarrassment or feel of correction. Instead, he says, no, actually when you're doubting, what you really need is to get into the mix of disciple-making. So that you can be helped in your doubt and help others in their doubts. And if we all have doubts, and we know that every time we show up to whatever meeting we're in, group of three or community group, whatever it is, you're bringing doubts. 
Somebody may be bringing more doubts, and you may have to help them more than they're going to help you, but we're all bringing doubts. And we're supposed to gather together to help each other through those doubts because we need one another. So in your times of doubting, you need to be discipled. And in your times of worship, you need to be discipled. We always need to be discipled. And so your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to commit to some sort of group of three or some sort of community group gathering, something where you're with a bunch of other worshiping doubters. A bunch of other worshiping doubters so that you can protect yourself and them from doubting and to help each other in your doubts. One of the uh, community groups, I think it's Justy and Jordan, when they first started their groups of three, they called them fight clubs. And they got that out of uh, 1 Timothy, where it says we need to fight the good fight of the faith. Because that's what we're doing. We've got to fight for each other to stay in the faith. You and I know people that once were very strong in the faith that today deny Christ. It is a reality. It is true. It really happens. It's not beyond any one of us. And so Jesus says, I want to protect you from that happening by discipling one another, by gathering together. And that is why for the past nine years, I've been leading us, and Tyler and Jordan have joined along in groups where we focus not on book studies, not on Bible studies, but on taking, yes, God's word from Sunday and go, all right, Here's what it said. Do we all agree on what it says? All right. Now, what difference does that make for you this week? How are you going to live differently? How are you going to apply it to your life? That way we don't live deceived. And that way we're obeying Jesus where he says to teach each other to observe all that he commanded us. So all we're trying to do is put feet to what Jesus says here in Matthew 28. And then we expanded that. And there's a slide for this. Because we're going to go back to sending an email that's more full with the three categories that we were doing a year ago that we stopped doing. And that is, if everybody in our groups were to do these three things, I think we'd be obeying Jesus in Matthew 28 and elsewhere in Scripture. And that is simply to take time to review and apply what you hear on Sunday. To find out where each other is suffering, confused, doubting, and then to speak Jesus into each other's lives. Let them know what it is about Jesus that's going to help them with what they're running through, with their problem. And then I think we need some accountability to help each other make sure that we have plans for loving lost people. Because the gravitational pull of the church is always inward. Except for a few of you who probably have a super gift of evangelism. But the rest of us, the gravitational pull can be to us, to huddling up. And so that third one is there just to remind us, okay, who are you seeking to love? How are you doing it? What's your plan to do that? And so I hope, keep sending this out, that we together can make sure that we are moving in the direction that keeps us from doubting and that protects us from disobeying Matthew 28 and James chapter, was it three or four? Two. One. I said every chapter in James. Got them all wrong to the last one. So there it is. Lastly, last little point here. And this is it. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is a mission with the presence of Jesus. I want to end where I started this morning. Jesus ends by saying, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is 
with you. And he's with you in a unique way when you are making disciples on mission. So I hope you see the circular reasoning here. To keep you from doubting, you get discipled and you make disciples. And when you are discipled and discipling, Jesus is then with you in a unique way to then help you back with the doubts that you brought into whatever situation you were in. So in some ways, it's circular. What do you want? What I really need is more Jesus. How do I get more Jesus? I hang out with other people who are going to help me in my doubts to believe in Jesus more and to live for him more. And so that's the point of disciple-making. It's not to make you more moral. It's not to make you goody-goody. It's not to make you look good on the outside. It is to change our hearts. It's to help us to behold the glory of the Lord so that we'll be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And that's what we do. I pray in our groups. We're helping each other see Christ more clearly. Here's what he's told us to do, and here's why he told us to do it. And yes, you have your doubts. Let me see what it is about Jesus that can help you in your doubt so that you want to walk with him and love him more because he is with you, and he just wants to increase his presence in your life. I mean, disciple-making is like the funnel that the presence of Christ flows through. It's the river, and you want to jump in and get in on the disciple-making so you can be in that path where Jesus is and you can experience him. And the same is true. He doesn't separate it. He's going to be with you in your go mission too. I don't, I don't know if we all have the same experience all the time, but after I've hung out with someone who doesn't know Jesus— whether it's first time or tenth time or whatever it is, and I get a chance to share with them the hope that I have within me, when I'm done that, I'm pretty jazzed. I'm pretty excited. I experience God's presence with me in a whole different way when I'm out there trying to share Christ with someone. And I also experience Christ's presence in a unique way when I'm with you and we're talking about things that you or I are struggling with. So listen, don't ever apologize to me for wanting to meet with me to get help with whatever it is you want help with. Because when you do that, I experience the presence of Jesus as much as you do. Because we're discipling each other. When you share your doubts and your struggles, trust me, I've got all the same stuff going on in my heart, and I'm identifying, and I'm experiencing his presence as I'm discipling you, and as you're responding, you're discipling me back. And so this is all good and right. I look forward to those times when, when it's Elspeth and I together. We look forward to that because we know every time when we're done, we're encouraged. Every time. And that's the design. Go make disciples. And as you do, I'm going to be with you. So if you want more Jesus with you, make more disciples. Do more going, do more growing, spend more time with one another, get into each other's mess, speak Jesus into one another's lives. Let it be awkward for a moment where somebody says, so what do we know about Jesus that speaks to this? And let it hang in the air for a minute or so in awkward silence. I love awkward silence. Let people be thinking, I don't know. I mean, think, what do I know about Jesus that helps this person? And I guarantee when you're done, you're going to walk away very aware of his presence and encouraged. And so keep it up church. That's all I want to say. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. And if you need help keeping it up, please let me help you keep it up. I want to help you. So if you don't keep a calendar with go and grow in it, take whatever calendar you're using and put it in there. 
I don't know what the regularity needs to be for you. I think it's probably more than once a month. But somehow, I'm going to commit to meeting with some group of people every week, every other week, to disciple and be discipled, to protect me and them from doubting. And then put in your calendar, I don't know whether it's one meal, two meals, three meals, a party, whatever it is, I'm going to get together with the people that God's put in my life that don't know Christ to eat with them, to party with them, to hang out with them, and get it in your calendar. And do it because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth to tell us to do it. (laughs) Not me. He is. He's telling us to do this. And he's telling us to do this so that we can just have more of his presence in our lives. I want more of his presence in my life. And so here's a simple plan, simple, simple, simple plan for us to obey him. I'll end with a silly illustration that maybe doesn't make any sense. So as I told you, I play football. That's silly to begin with. Let's just say I play football, and I have pads, and I have a jersey and a helmet, and I, I love football. I watch all the games every weekend, Monday night, Thursday night. I don't miss a game. I meet every Tuesday morning with a group of guys. I bring my leather-bound notebook where I keep all of my notes and where all the plays are from the previous week and who won and all the stats, and I have that leather-bound book, and I keep it with me. When I'm with those guys, we even sing football songs. There are some terrible country songs about football out there. But we sing them. I love football. And you were to say to me, well, the next time that you play a game, let me know. I'd love to come. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't play. I'm not going to get hurt. And I'm not going to risk, like, the embarrassment of playing. And besides, I'm kind of too busy to play. I mean, I've got the playbook. And, I don't, you know, I'm reading it. And I get to go to those and we talk about it. But I'm not playing the game. You would think that was ridiculous, right? Listen, to be a football player, you need to play football. And to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to make disciples. You can't be a disciple unless you're making disciples. That's the definition of being a disciple. A disciple is a disciple maker by definition. You follow Christ and you help others follow Christ. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you. Are you a disciple maker? Are you a disciple who makes disciples? And I'm going to tell you that probably doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It usually happens when we have some kind of a plan. Something is in our, we, we, we make a commitment. We say, this is what I'm going to do, and here's why I'm going to do it, because I want to obey Jesus, I want his presence, and I don't want to wander from the faith. And I don't want you to wander from the faith. So I'm committed to you to keep you from doubting. And I need you to be committed to me so that I don't doubt. So that we can sit in this room a year from now, and 10 years from now, and 20 years from now, and however long I live, and go, we're all still here. There's no more doubters. There weren't any doubters. We didn't lose anybody along the way. And the way we do that, Jesus' way, is to meet together, to teach each other, to observe everything that Jesus commanded us to do. Amen? Amen. So let's do it. Let's stick together. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that over us, God, that as we doubt and as we waver, which we will do, I pray that we will be knit together with a few other people in this church in a way that protects us from further doubting and that helps others from doubting to begin with. God, use the design that you have set up. This is your plan. This is your mission plan, and we want to obey it 
expecting you to use it to protect us from becoming doubters. And Jesus, I pray that wherever we are on this journey, my friends in this room, I know we're all in very different places in our journey. Some of us are way towards the worshiper side and some of us are way towards the doubting side. And that's okay. That's why we're here. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would help us. I pray those who are strong this morning would embrace the doubters and be able to bring them along and help them in their doubting, knowing that when they do that, it's just going to help them experience Jesus more. And I pray, Lord, for the worshipers here that they would see um, the potential for them to doubt and they would see their need for others, including the doubters, to help them along in this journey. God, this is your design. We just want to live in the good of your design. We want to obey you because you have the authority to be obeyed. And we want to do it by making disciples of those who don't know you and those who do know you. And so give us that zeal and that commitment. Give us that conviction, that priority in our lives. And then, Spirit, I pray that you would please be poured out on every time we meet. Spirit, we need you. We need you. Because when we get together, there's no music playing in the background. We're tired. We have a busy day ahead of us or behind us. And so in those moments, we desperately need your spirit to come and meet us. And so I ask, God, that every, every gathering, whether it's with two people or ten, I pray that as we gather, your spirit would be very active in our hearts. Be very active. Actively show us how to speak the reality of Christ into all of each other's doubts. To bring hope where there's hopelessness to bring peace where there's fear. Be present, I pray. Do your good work also in us as we go to those who don't know you. Oh God, open those doors. Give us courage and boldness and opportunities and show us how to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Show us how, I pray. And we ask that you would save many through us save many through us as we seek to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to everyone we meet. Do that, we pray, and do it for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. of the Father, gift of grace and love, the promise of the Savior, the power from above, wondrous gift that's given, for confidence and mission, Holy Spirit, you make all Come, bring the 